Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hey, today on the show, we have Dave Sherbel with us, and uh, he's got a great story. They are an asset management firm. So they focus specifically on that. They, they asset manage for a lot of multifamily owners, office, et cetera. Uh, and we dive into his career, his lessons learned, what he's seen. And they've got uh, over 7,000 units under management currently nationwide. So he's got a lot of perspective on what multifamily owners are doing right and wrong out there, where we are in the market cycle, what's happening with cap rates, interest rates. We dive into all that stuff. I think you're gonna enjoy this episode. Before we get into it, if you are um, wanting to see future DJE investment projects and you're not currently in our investor portal and on our list, you can get to know us by going to djetexas.com. There's a little button there to sign up to spend a couple of minutes with our team. We could send you case studies and get you all set up. And we, we're big advocates of education, right? Get educated first get to know us. And then at some point in the future, if there's a project you like, you're well positioned to get uh, to participate in that project. Again, that's djetexas.com to get set up. Secondly, if you're an aspiring operator, you want to go out and learn how to do this, to buy these deals and run these deals. We've got a great program at apartmenteducators.com. There's a free video series there that I teach you. You can go check out and download at apartmenteducators.com. Com. Okay, let's get into the episode. Here we go. Dave, welcome. How are you? Doing fabulous. Yourself? Yeah, doing great. Thank you for joining us today. I'm excited to dive in here. Let's kind of kick it off with, uh, with a little bit of background. What, what is your background and how, how did it lead you to, to real estate and what you're doing today? I kind of fell into real estate about 30 years ago. I was in public accounting. Uh, I was doing audits in the late 80s. Uh, firm I was working for did a joint venture with a real estate workout uh, gentleman, uh, RTC contracts, um, regular banks were taking back deals in the late 80s. So nobody else in the accounting firm wanted to work for the person because they didn't see a clear path to partnership uh, as far as being in the public accounting. A uh, guy had a similar background to me, who was from the Northeast, was the CPA. Uh, and he made the jump into uh, real estate. So uh, he treated me like a younger brother, took me on, you know, taught me a lot about real estate and the different uh, classes. And, uh, you know, I went from there and I've been doing real estate since uh, the late, late 80s, early 90s. Excellent. What was your first project that you got involved in? My first project was a unflagged hourly motel uh, in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. And was this like a deeply distressed deal? Was the bank taking it back or was it pretty clean? What did that, what did that look like? We took over a publicly traded uh, company that owned a mixed bag of real estate. Um, the banks took it over, got delisted and we took the operations from up in Boston, brought it down to Miami. And over the next six years, we worked out their portfolio of assets. So we had some hotels, we had motels, some apartments, lots of office, bunch of, you know, multifamily notes, uh, and just kind of worked out uh, for the unsecured creditors, which were Bankers Trust, uh, Chase Manhattan, 
um, for Chicago. And, um, you know, it was a great experience uh, picking up real estate in a down market and trying to create value. Right. So that's a pretty big basket and a very diverse portfolio there. What, what is, was that just a train wreck in terms of management and connecting the dots? I mean, was it disparate third-party management on all this stuff? Did the you portfolio have- was spread across the U.S. We had a, you know, a golf and tennis resort in St. Simon's Island. Their clubhouse had just burned down. We had a deal out in California, a hotel that had some issues. It was all different real real estate uh, service providers, and you know, we you know put on the ones we thought can help us get the most value out of the deals. We gave them a game plan that we thought would work, uh, and you know, the the bankers were our board of directors, and you know, it was a, it was a good understanding of working with banks, working with every type of real estate category and working with everything that was kind of in the toilet and being creative on creating value. Right. Yeah. That's a, that's a huge, uh, huge endeavor. No doubt. I'm sure it took a, took a village to make all that happen. It really wasn't that many people, but it, for me, it was a learning experience because, you know, I had a mentor, you know, had done the path he had worked on, you know, for companies that had done workouts in the past. So, it was a good segue from auditing where you're finding and, you know, opining on the financials and where they hide stuff, not to going into this where, you know, I relied on my background of going through books and records, source documents to find ways of being more efficient on the expenses and being creative on generating more revenue. Right. Right. I want to ask you a question based on, the, you know, your kind of entry into this space and the timing of it, you've seen a lot of cycles since then. What is, what is your sense of where we are? We're just talking in the middle of 2021 right now, right? I mean, the, the history kind of rhymes and these things go through cycles. What are you guys doing today? And what do you, what do you think about the next couple of years in front of us? I mean, I've been saying for a few years that, you know, the good times are going to end and I've been proven wrong. Right. Uh, I see, you know, lots of people chasing deals, offering more for the real estate uh, than I thought, it, you know, the real estate was worth. Um, and I just kind of see the good times always end and there's always that dip. Uh, I think there are a lot of people that are overpaying for real estate and depending on how much the operational hit takes, depending on how good they were on placing the debt, getting IO, getting a longer term deal. Uh, There's always going to be some people that run into trouble. They get too aggressive on leverage. They didn't underwrite the deal properly. They're not really operators. They partnered up with bad operators. Uh, Whether, you know, everyone's doing gangbusters. I think a lot of people have bought deals, you know, in the last six, seven years, made money because all the tide was rising everybody up. Right. It's hard to believe their own BS and they take, you know, bigger chances and they roll the die. Um, it's those people that are not really operators that sometimes run into trouble and even good operators run into trouble. So um, I find it that, you know, as a workout person uh, in multifamily and other types, uh, times, times are good for me. Uh, not because I'm smarter than anyone, but, you know, I've been through the battles. I've made every mistake and 
you know, I kind of see the fire before it gets out of control and kind of put it back on course. That's great. Thank you for that, for that insight. We talk a lot about multifamily on the show. If, if you're talking about multifamily specifically, and you've got an operator looking to, looking to get into a deal right now in this market, and it's, it's a competitive market, no doubt right now. What are some of those things that you would, uh, would kind of guide that operator on to, to watch out for? Because we, we've seen a long run of, of run up in values and rents and, and all this stuff. And then you've got all this fresh uh, money in the economy in the last year and all these things happening. But uh, what are some specific things, let's say, around underwriting that you um, that you would tell that operator getting into multifamily right now? You know, first thing is don't believe the broker's package. You know, the broker is, is like the barker in front of a McDonald's. He just needs to get one person in to go buy that hamburger and his job is done. Right. So brokers will send out packages with a story and, it, you know, you have to do your due diligence and you have to kind of figure out where the holes in the story are and figure out how you're going to create value based on your own uh, devices um, two, you know, if you're going to partner up with a management company, make sure you pick the right one. Um, you know, sometimes the bigger shops, if you're a small client, don't care. And just in general, management companies are always looking at their management fee, which is based on revenue. It's not based on bottom line. Uh, so their interests are always going to run contrary to you as an owner operator. Um, I think due diligence is kind of understated by a lot of people. Um, you know, they take the CapEx rehab plan that the broker gives them. Sometimes the costs are pretty close and a lot of times they're not. Uh, you know, older properties, you need to figure out the plumbing and the electrical. So you gotta do your homework. You gotta shop your own comps to figure out what's a comp, what's not a comp. And find some people that you can trust that are going to give you, you know, truthful answers and not just, you know, take your money as a contract vendor. I love it. All fantastic points and, and very well stated. Thank you. Um, yeah, we've seen seen trouble from all those items in the past. There's no doubt. What um, what are you guys? What have you historically done for your for your capital stack? Um, in in terms of, I guess, more specifically around equity and. And how are you guys structuring that today on new uh, new acquisitions? So, you know, my business for the last six years is truly, we're a third-party asset management shop. Right. We don't own a property management company. We don't have one. We get kickbacks. So in the beginning, it was mostly clients that were in trouble that would hire me, uh, syndicators now, family offices, you know, institutional. So typically when they buy their own deals, they have their own brokers for debt. They have their own equity source, whether it's, you know, high net worth individuals, it's, uh, you know, on a public um, uh, raise forum, or they have true institutional or they use an equity broker to find that. So, um, you know, my, on the, that type of stuff, I'm more of kind of a guidance than, actually the person, you know, placing the debt, the equity. Right. So for the usually a lot of the clients, they like chasing deals. They like doing the capital stack. It's right. everything else that they don't like to do, you know, so our work after the deals closed, right? Yeah. C to G cradle to grave. We do everything from the beginning 
to the capital transaction at the end and everything in between. Outstanding. So what is, as an asset manager, from an asset manager perspective, who's an ideal client for you in terms of size, location, asset type, that kind of thing? So currently, you know, we oversee about 5,300 units across the country. So we go anywhere where our clients ask us uh, to go. So that, you know, so that doesn't stop us. Um, you know, we do majority multifamily, but, you know, we've had uh, portfolios of office and retail, but the majority is multifamily. We'll do everything from, you know, A to C. Um, you know, we, it's all the same, you know, just different nuances in each uh, class. Uh, as far as clients, our clients run the gamut from, you know, uber sophisticated to, you know, newbies in the in industry. Uh, we're just looking for people that, you know, want to learn, want to get better. And, you know, the better you are as an operator, the better you are as an underwriter. Because you sure. understand what property management companies do. So, you know, our clients will sit on the weekly calls with us if they want to. I have some clients that don't and they just hand the ball to us and, you know, we, we get the business plan uh, completed. Yeah, outstanding. That's it's such a huge, a huge layer of responsibility above the property management, which is doing a lot of work for sure. But the, the asset management piece of the stack is uh, it's where the buck stops, right? That's where the business plan is executed or it isn't. We represent the owners of the real estate. Um, so they're our, you know, bottom line is keeping them happy. If the management company is not producing, you know, we, we can switch them out. Uh, you know, it doesn't, doesn't you know bother us hurt us it's just the nature of the beast right. uh, and look we're good at setting up the business plan lots of times people buy deals and they don't have a business plan so they hand it to the management company and that's not really their skill set their skill set is ownership gives them a plan we manage that plan and we keep them within the white lines and make sure that they're hitting the returns that we're looking for without raping the property without you know, filling it up with people that are probably going to get evicted. Sure. We help get that property going, moving, and then set it up for the capital event, whether it be a refi or a sale. Right. Yeah, I love it. It's looking you know, proper. We're making sure the financials are moving. You know, we're, we're building a good exit story. Right. Is there, a, is there a narrative, I guess, nationally for, for what happened last year with office? I mean, we're not, I'm not in that space at all, so I, I hear things, but I'm not seeing it. How, how did office do through, uh, through COVID, and what do you think is ahead for, for office, or is it too nuanced to have a blanket answer like that? Uh, I think it's nuanced, but I think at a macro level is some firms are starting to have their people come back. Some people are saying, you know, part at home, part uh, in the office is the new way to go. I mean, if I'm a, you know, uh, an employer and I have a big foot space uh, in an office, I'm paying a lot of rent for that space. If I can have people working from home, I can downsize that space. Uh, I think, you know, office has been hurt. Um, some people are, you know, moving to cheaper digs, less, you know, less space. So, uh, and you look at it, New York, a lot of the, the firms aren't going back. Um, you know, it really depends on where we are now in the, the COVID virus. Are we hitting another, another level or are we going to continue on the positive trends that we've made? So 
I think, you know, the jury's still out. Yeah, that's right. That's right. A lot of variables there. Um, getting back to multifamily, you mentioned you do A, B, C. In the A space, the, the newer space, how are you seeing operators create a, a real value add, right? I mean, some of these older properties is fairly obvious. They, they need everything. <clears throat> but on the newer stuff, it's a little more difficult, right? Maybe the it's a little bit thinner or rents are, rents are closer to the top. How are you seeing operators successfully boost NOI on those newer properties? I mean, look, on the revenue side, there's always amenities and the charges for it. It's billing back expenses that you haven't. You know, the problem that you have is on all, all property types are insurance costs are going up. Right. Real estate taxes are going up. No doubt. Costs are going up. So even if you have a really good rent increase, those three big items are tough to overcome. And the problem with new is there's always something else that's newer. And you, you continually are putting money back in uh, to compete. At least on an older property, you kind of know where you are in the food chain. You can fix the things that are broken. And you just make sure that your prices versus something above you in, in the quality stack has a nice price differential. And, you know... When times get tough, people move from A's to B's and B's to C's. So, uh, and there's more poor people in the U.S. than there are rich people. So, um, what you're finding is when people have trouble, they'll go home, they'll double up, or they'll move down in the in the food chain. So, right, yeah, it's tricky when you're competing with something that's uh, some brand new construction next door. That's yeah, tough. Two, two, $300 rent, you know, differentials is a big number. Right. For people. So, you know, as long as you can take your old property and give them some of the amenities, you know, some of the interior amenities, you know, you can do the, the hard kitchen surfaces, you can do the appliance packages, you can make the floor plank vinyl, you can do that and get a, a nice return, all things being equal. The thing sure. that a hard time is, you know, you can't change the aesthetics of the buildings as easy. Right. You know, 1970s product, you know, it's a little antiquated and you don't know what's behind the walls in electrical and you don't know what's under the ground in plumbing. But, you know, if you just work on clean, safe, and priced right, you're going to do okay. Good customer service. You can do it on a C just as you do it on the A. Yeah, that's right. I love it. I love it. Remember, some people are renters because they have no choice. They can't afford to go buy a house. People living in the A's paying good rents, they have choices. They can go from an apartment to a house. Right. It's been a long-term renter. They're kind of, you know, in that cycle and stuck in it. So, you know, your turnover costs are going to be less if you can do a good job and just keep them happy and keep them in your units. That's right. Let's talk a bit about cap rates here, and, and we can kind of focus specifically on multifamily. Um, obviously, we've seen cap rate compression in, in our market in Texas, and I'm sure nationally, but we'd love to get your feedback on that. I mean, th th these things have really compressed over the last couple of years. Um, what are your thoughts on what's happened and where it's going? As unfair of a question as that is. I mean, just from a general, you know, things are tradings in the threes, you know, sub fours. I mean, how much lower can it get? Right. right. And so typically, you know, you would buy and, you know, <clears throat> we're hoping you were, you know, getting NOI growth, but NOI growth could be tough because of the taxes, insurance. And if there's, you know, another hiccup in the market, 
Uh, interest rates are pretty darn low. Uh, equity yields are low. So, you know, you're kind of at that bottom point of cap rates. You know, there's only one way for them to go eventually, and that's back up. Right. So, you know, that's, that's kind of the problem. I think the thing that's helped everybody is the long run on declining interest rates. Right. Right. In your career, have you seen situations where you saw some cap rate expansion that really caught people off guard? And, and what did that look like? I mean, in the late 80s, some of the loans we picked up on the, the public company, you know, we had loans that were 13 to 15 percent. You know, it wasn't like they are now. Um, 13, 15 on the on the rates. Yeah. When I worked Ooh. at Insignia Financial and we were buying the old syndicators, you know, we were using 10 as a cap rate, you know, in 95, 96, you know, to do our annual evaluation. So, you know, I've seen the rates kind of come and go uh, all across the board, but generally speaking, they've been kind of more on a downward trend than an upward trend. No doubt. Well, same question on, on rates. Do you think we can <clears throat> did the Fed shoot all their bullets? I mean, you know, or do you think they're going to try to try to kick this back up here over the next couple of years? I mean, they've been really quick to on the on the QE. And, um, you know, what's your what's your thought on? Is this just a perpetual QE machine or, or, or are they going to try and raise rates? What's your take on that? There are there are smarter people than I. Uh, so you know, I wouldn't be the person to ask. But, you know, a lot of it is trying to keep the economy going. So, you know, they're trying to stimulate, but, you know, at a certain point in time, prices are going up. Um, you know, I, I just think they're going to have to do something uh, to slow down. I mean, the stock market's through the roof, but most Americans are not invested, you know, deeply in the stock market. It's, you know, uh, more, most people don't have that discretionary income. Um, so things are, you know, it wasn't that long ago where, you know, the market was low, you know, talk about, you know, April and May of last year, and it's gone through the roof. But the question is, are the earnings really there? Right. Or just people, you know, getting in the market, because that's the place to go. Uh, again, the smarter people than I, I'm just a, you know, a multifamily guy. <laughs> that's right. That's my, that's my line I use all the time. Um, Let's talk about your firm and, and, and an engagement. Somebody comes to you, they say, we've got this portfolio, but we're really not good at the asset management component. What does an engagement with you guys look like in terms of kind of, you know, initial call to taking over some, you know, portfolio? So, you know, traditionally, if someone just calls and they have some questions, we, you know, we give them the free advice because, you know, we try to play it forward. Our agreements are handshakes. If you don't like us, they're over. Um, we, we're on a fixed fee, a low fixed fee. You know, we try to be that plug and play that if you're too small to have an asset management department, um, you don't want to deal with everything except for, you know, underwriting, finding new deals. And we're, we're the plug and play. Um, we take a flat fee, you know, plus travel. We're cheaper than your hiring uh, inexperienced people that you have to watch. And, you know, we know to do our thing. If you're unhappy, you know, again, it's a handshake. Uh, as, as long as we're happy with you, you know, and, you know, we, we try to only take clients we like to work for. 
there, there are a lot of people out there that have bad reputations and life is too short. So, you know, our, our clientele is with people that we like to spend time with and be with. And we'll do anything within the, you know, the operations, um, you know, but traditionally we're not come out twice a year and look at the property from a parking lot drive. We try to be on our assets every month. We're on weekly phone calls. We're pushing the management company as hands-on uh, owners reps. So, you know, for our clients, you know, we bring results. Um, and, you know, for the management companies, there's accountability. Right. Yeah, that's, that's great. Well, thanks for the, for the overview there. Um, I love it. And thanks for, for sharing some of your insights here. Just to kind of wrap up, what would you say to um, the prospective passive investor out there, right? Somebody's looking to maybe invest in a project with a syndicator. They don't want to go through the, all the work and headache of owning it themselves. Do you have some, some words for that person that wants to be a, a limited partner? Yeah, I would go shop the syndicators for other properties, see if they're clean, see if people are, you know, bubbly and engaging. Um, you know, syndicators are raising money. They're, you know, they're the barker at the carnival. They're trying to get you through the door. Everyone's getting somebody else's money. That's right. I would ask for financials every month, not just take the, the letter you get, um, you know, you have to choose your partners wisely because you can lose your spouse quicker than you can lose your partners. And as a limited partner, you really have no rights. Right. So, you know, you really have to do your homework uh, on who you're picking because without having any rights, you know, you're just sitting in the backseat of a car that if it's going off the cliff, you can't do anything about it. Yeah, that's right. Big trade-off there. Big trade-off there for sure. Well, that's helpful. Uh, Dave, thank you very much for, for sharing some time with me today. And I enjoyed getting to learn about you and your company. If somebody wants to connect with you, what's a good avenue for that? Uh, you can email me at dave at c2gam.com. Phone number is 954-646-7382. Outstanding. Well, we'll link to the, the website there in the show notes. And uh, thank you again. Wish you a prosperous year ahead. Appreciate you jumping on today. You as well. And we appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. Outstanding. All right. Take care. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. I hope you found that educational, entertaining, inspiring, all of the above. If you are interested in seeing future DJE investment projects, and you are not already on our list and in our portal, uh, you can go to the website, djetexas.com. There's a little button there to schedule a 15-minute call with our team, answer any questions you have, and make sure you get on that list to see that next project that comes out. Also, if you're interested in being uh, an investor that runs these deals, we've got a free seven-module course for you at apartmenteducators.com. Uh, a lot of great free content there to ramp up your education in the multifamily investing space. Once again, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. We always appreciate a five-star review that helps the reach of the show. That's one way you can give back if you enjoyed it. And we'll see you on the next one. Take care. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.